Blog Talk Radio. Welcome into the Winter Meetings edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shoprov from the 70 at the Bat. With me is always Tara Wellman from Bird Seeds and Bird Tales. Tara it has been, well, a little busy. Not as, you know, since the last time we spoke. I think if we had done this show last week, we probably would have a little bit different opinion of what has happened. But um, Mo has given us a few things to talk about tonight. Finally, he uh, he left the winter meetings kind of uh, trolling all of us to use the the uh, most common Twitter word for what John Mazalek likes to do. Um, but you know, he left the winter meetings basically saying, "Yeah, you know, we'll probably do something, but it might not be done until after Christmas." And then a few hours later, <laughs> Dexter Fowler <laughs> happened. So. Um, classic John Mozeliak in that regard, but he uh, was kind of down to the last hour to uh, get something done to give us a little more to talk about than how he didn't do anything at the winter meetings. <laughs> yeah, there was a you know the winter meetings were were very busy with some uh, exorbitant trades and some interesting contracts being signed, and and we continued to it seemed like about the time the Cardinals were tied to a player. The, that player moved or signed elsewhere, and so it was like, what exactly is John Mosellock doing? Um, and that that created a little bit of stir, um, but it was very good to see him finally address probably the biggest issue of this Cardinals team, and that is center field and, and a leadoff man and signing Dexter Fowler. Um, you know, five-year deal, it's a, it's a deal that actually is very reminiscent of Mike Leake's deal from last year, uh, all the way down to the no-trade clause. Uh, when you when you think about this signing, I mean, what what jumps out at you? To be completely honest, this is the guy that I have wanted all off season. So um, I, I think that it's it's a bigger deal than we're maybe comfortable with seeing John Mozeliak make, just because he's not been comfortable with going out there and, and putting up big numbers or. Um, trading away big pieces. And I think you kind of alluded to that, but what we started to see, and really we saw it at the beginning of the offseason for the Cardinals as far as when they started making moves with the Brett Cecil deal. That was bigger than a lot of us expected John Mozeliak to go on a reliever. And yet we've seen a number of other relievers go off the board and that deal's starting to look a lot better. Uh, it's, it's not starting to look as outrageous compared to the rest of the market. Um, so as far as the Dexter Fowler deal, to me, I know a lot of people are, are throwing around the, the term overpaid. Um, I don't know if I, if I am comfortable using that because of the way the market has shifted and, and just what they had to work with this year. I mean, when you look at the pieces that went for uh, Adam Eaton and you look at, you know, some of the, the other big trades that were made and some of the standout things, the deals that were made for free agents that were outrageous. 
um, looking at this to me doesn't seem like it's it's that much of a stretch. We keep talking about the money that the Cardinals have to spend, um, and at this point, it seems like the Cardinals have far more wealth in in actual money than in prospects. So it seems to me that that signing a player out of free agency was the most logical step for the Cardinals. Dexter Fowler filled the most holes. Is he Mike Trout? No. But does this deal make the most sense for the Cardinals right now? In my mind, it does, and that's why I was I was certainly pleased with um, seeing it get done, even if maybe it was a little bit more um, in total than we're used to seeing John Mazalek spend. Yeah, it's difficult for me, given the financial situation of the Cardinals, to think that they overpaid on the guy that they didn't even spend a hundred million dollars on. And I say that in a, in a, in a, a little bit of a way, but you know, this is not the biggest contract the Cardinals have ever given out. This is paltry compared to the, the amounts that they tried to sign Jason Hayward and David price to last year. So, and, and again, money is not an issue. As you pointed, it's not really an issue for the Cardinals, especially when, you know, in the trade in the deal, we'll probably talk a little bit about a little bit later on, they saved $12 million on sending Jaime Garcia to the Braves. So, you know, it, it's kind and of not for this year. Holiday and, and not right. extending an offer to Brandon Moss. There's so many places that money is coming from right now that it, it shouldn't even be a question in my mind. No, I mean, we, even with the Cecil signing and even with the Fowler signing, you know, payroll, before we see arbitration numbers and extensions and things of that nature, Payroll could be very much in line with what last year's payroll was, even with these additions. And so it, it's difficult. Now, is Fowler going to earn his contract? Now, that's a different story. But it's not going to be a contract that's going to hamstring the Cardinals, even at the end of it, even in year four and year five, if Dexter Fowler is not running as much because he's 35, 36, or whatever. Um, you know, it's $16, 17000000 million. This is a team that's got a $1.1 billion TV contract kicking in in the next year or so. Um, that should not hamper them going out to do something else if they want to. Um, so all in all, I mean, they got the guy that they felt really fit this team, both from an offensive standpoint, uh, a defensive standpoint, and there's some arguments out there that maybe Fowler's not the defensive guy that people tend to think he is. And I think that's a fair argument. There may be some times where we still see Randall Gritchick in center and, and maybe Fowler shifting over um, occasionally. I don't think that's going to happen very often. Um, but, you know, when you put that together with apparently the personality that they feel like is going to inspire this club a little bit too to maybe shake off some of these ideas that the Cardinals are boring people, um, which – you know, it's a little difficult to do when you're getting a, a glass of water in your face from Carlos Martinez, but, you know, some people do it anyway. Um, it feels like this is all around. This is kind of almost uh, an obvious move. It wasn't exactly a big surprise. I guess the biggest surprise, perhaps, was the fact that Fowler actually signed in St. Louis because there were rumors uh, a week, the week of, of the winter meetings that Fowler had no interest in coming to St. Louis, and those fingers pointed toward Mike Matheny. Now, is in your mind, is this a situation where some of those rumors were overblown or inaccurate? Or is this a situation where Fowler says, you know, I'm not real excited about St. Louis, but $87 million is a pretty good payroll? <laughs> well, I think uh, 
80 plus million dollars is, is going to be pretty convincing in, in most people's minds, um, especially if it's just a, a personality difference. But I, and I, I had this conversation with a couple of people um, in regards to this sort of unsourced rumor floating around about what Dexter Fowler may or may not have said specifically about Mike Matheny. Um, and, and my only real response is this, and I have a hard time, and I've said that, uh, said it on this show before, but I have a hard time making such broad assumptions that are, are really about someone's character, not just about, you know, their baseball IQ or whether they should or shouldn't have used a double switch. All of that is, is fair game, but, um, making such broad assumptions about someone or just accepting this rumor that doesn't really have a, that doesn't really have a, a ton of credibility. Not that the people who are discussing it aren't credible, but it's, it's a rumor. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to base an entire <laughs> argument on a rumor of something that may or may not have ever been said, um, I have a hard time doing that. So for me, I, I tried to stay out of that. I tried to stay away from the the whole premise of that conversation simply because there's no basis for it at this point. Although I do have to say I was amused after all the, the attention that, that that rumor got to see the lighthearted, joking, kind of fun character guy that Dexter Fowler appeared to be in the press conference with Mike Matheny and John Mazalak. So it, it obviously isn't that big of a deal, um, or one, he wouldn't have signed there, and, and two, he probably wouldn't have been quite as lighthearted if he signed uh, on the dotted line while holding his nose in the process. You know, it, seems, it seems to me there are some pieces missing to this story, and that's why I, I hesitate to jump in on a rumor like that. Um, but all of that said... I think Dexter Fowler's the perfect kind of guy to bring to St. Louis to impact whatever cultural issues, whatever clubhouse issues, whatever, you know, lack of energy there might be. He seems to be the perfect kind of guy to insert that can make some changes in the way things are seen and the way things operate and the way that that, uh, they're perceived by the fan base as well. So from the rumor to the, the, (laughs) Signing on the dotted line, I think it was probably way overblown. Um, but I do think that he can play a very significant role, not by doing anything special, just by being Dexter Fowler in St. Louis. Yeah, and I think the thing that was kind of overlooked somewhat when that rumor was floating around is that there were most likely players that don't want to go play for Joe Madden either. Um, right. I mean, there are players, every, every manager is going to have some players that they just don't want necessarily to go be part of that culture or be part of that strategy or whatever it is. And it may only be one or two people. It just happens to be the fact that, you know, in this case, if it was true, which it doesn't appear to be, that it was one of the major free agent targets. Um, But, you know, I I think that was just, it was everybody was jumping because everybody tends to look for things to jump on Mike Matheny about. And that seemed to be an easy one to do. But I think that was, like you said, a lot overblown if, if accurate at all. Um, Fowler is just the most recent of the moves that the Cardinals have made in the month or so since we have done a show. You referenced Brett Cecil. Um, that was Mo's first move, and, and you're right. This move does look a lot better now. It didn't look bad at the time. Again, it was $30 million, and it's, a, it's as we've said, it's money they have. Um, so 
that wasn't a huge deal, but when you start looking at the money that some of the closers are getting, and Cecil's not a closer, but he's got similar stuff. Um, this was a pretty smart move by Mo to get out there before the market got set on, on these very, very expensive relievers. It did, and that's, I think, why John Moselak made that move as quickly as he did. You know, I've, I've been critical of Mo at times in the in the recent past, particularly in the way that he kind of <laughs> seems to wait too long, uh, whether it's waiting too long to trade a prospect at, at their peak and then not getting as much for them later on, or you know, waiting too long to, to make a move on a, a big free agent or whatever the case may be. Um, in this case, he reacted quickly. And I think it's because you, you had to be able to see the market developing for these guys and to see where it was going to go once a few of the pieces came off the board. Um, it made sense to make a move and make it quickly. Whether it seemed bigger than necessary or not, the Cardinals needed that piece. They needed left-handed relief. They needed help in that area of their bullpen. And they went out and got their guy. It's it's not as if I'm suggesting that the Cardinals just throw money at whomever is available. But when they find the guy that they want to fill a certain role, they have the money right now to go out and make that happen. So it just makes sense rather than trying to formulate a plan with certain prospects but not other prospects and <clears throat> trying to make a move in, in the trade market just isn't as as – logical for them right now so um i was surprised i guess by the quick trigger on the the move for brett cecil um and again he may not be setting the world on fire but he fills a need he does it in a way that the cardinals think makes sense for them um in a number of different ways right now and i was i was pleased to see john mozalak go out so aggressive i got a little worried when it took so long on the, the Dexter Fowler deal. But nonetheless, I was pleased to see him uh, go out of the gate strong and, and, and decisive in what he wanted in this free agent market. Yeah, we have seen John Mosellock finish his shopping before Thanksgiving before. And for a while there, it looked like that might be the case this year. And, and that would have been very, <laughs> very disheartening if that was the case. But thankfully it wasn't. Adding Cecil to the back of this rotation or back of this bullpen is, is going to be very interesting to have him and Seacrest and O, um, some guys that can really shorten games up. And then, you know, if Trevor Rosendahl is more of what we saw in his last outing than what we saw much of the year next year, then, you know, and either you use him again in those late innings and kind of alternate between some of those guys, or maybe that gives you the chance to use him in a, a sixth, seventh, or two-inning spots here or to relieve a pitcher if it's getting bad early. Um, you know, I think that the bullpen overall seems like it's going to be a, a pretty good strength. Again, that's kind of what we thought going into last year, and things didn't turn out as as planned. But adding Cecil into that mix just, just seems like it's a, a thing that's going to, to, to kind of eliminate some of those heartaches in the last few innings. Yeah, well, with Zach Duke going down with Jordan Walden, the the story that never really was um, for the Cardinals, they needed to fill in that hole. And like I said, this move made sense, but it makes sense in a way that fortifies the bullpen plan. And I clarify because the plan was great last year. It didn't really play out as well as, as we would have liked. But there were a lot of injuries. There were a lot of issues. I mean, you know, with, with Seth Maness not really – a part of the equation last year that changed some things. It changed the way they used Matt Bowman. It changed the way 
a number of those guys were used plus. Then you had Tyler Lyons playing a pretty significant role until his injury. So there are just there's so many pieces. It's it's like dominoes. When they start to fall, all of a sudden that great plan part and and it becomes a weakness very quickly as opposed to a strength. So um, I think that you're right. And the way that you can stack the back end of that bullpen in a number of different ways gives some flexibility. And, and ideally it gives the right kind of flexibility. I know we talked a lot about flexibility last year as it pertains to kind of the, the position players and the way they could move around the field and up and down the lineup didn't work out so well. Not, not quite the uh, asset that I think John Mozalek expected. Um, but I think one of the problems with the bullpen in the last couple of years, especially with Mike Bassini still <laughs> apparently feeling his way uh, around the bullpen management, <clears throat> is that he gets a couple of guys that he can trust, and then he doesn't want to utilize anyone else. Well, if you can stack enough guys that he can trust, in a row, then you should have enough options to keep everybody fresh, not pitch anyone until their arm falls off, all of those wonderful uh, details that, that make a bullpen last through a season. So, um, you know, it, it was interesting hearing John Mazzalek talk about the, this idea that, you know, maybe these pitchers shouldn't be labeled and used only in a certain role, as in, uh, you know, the closer only pitching in the ninth inning with the lead, that sort of thing. We saw that some with uh, the Indians in the postseason. As he mentioned, I'm not sure that's sustainable throughout an entire season, but if you put enough guys in the back end of that bullpen um, that are trustworthy in high leverage situations, it does give you those options to make sure that the best guy is on the mound in the right moment. Um, the challenge, of course, is putting that guy on the mound in the right moment, but that's another conversation entirely. Absolutely, and that's not one we can fit into a 30-minute <laughs> show, much less the next 10 minutes that we have. Cardinals now have two lefties in the bullpen in Cecil and Segrist, but have none in the rotation of Jaime Garcia going to Atlanta for three prospects. Um, you know, I think a lot of people expected Garcia to be traded, although I think a lot of them expected Garcia to be part of a package for something bigger instead of kind of being sold off for spare parts. Um, were you surprised at not only how Garcia was traded, but where Garcia was traded? Honestly, I was surprised it happened as early as it did. Um, I kind of anticipated that maybe they'd keep Garcia around until closer to spring training, make sure that they had the, the, the right pieces in place for their own rotation, um, and then maybe see what, what they could get um, for someone who needed to fill in that spot. Um, I do think that, that the lack of lefties in the rotation is a bit of a concern, um, something that maybe John Mazalek will still uh, deal with in one way or the other. Um, probably not in a significant way because it seems – like he makes one big move in the off season, that's it. But nonetheless, um, I, I like I said, I was surprised at how early it happened in the off season. Um, Jaime Garcia is just such a wild card. Um, you know, if if you base his value on any given time during a season, it's going to be dramatically different than any other given time during a season because he can look absolutely unhittable. And he can also look like he's throwing batting practice. Um, 
so I imagine it's hard to kind of gauge the market for someone that's just such a wild card. Um, so perhaps when they found a, a willing trade partner that, that would kind of take him out of the equation and, and um, kind of just check that box, whether it's, you know, the taking it off the payroll or getting some of those prospects to maybe build back up the farm system or really just to get the Jaime Garcia thing out of the way and, and let everybody move on mm-hmm. in St. Louis. I don't know, but um, I was not particularly sad to see Jaime Garcia go just because I think I'm a little bit weary of the Garcia experience, but um, to see him go just basically on his own, just uh, thanks for, thanks for playing. Have a nice life. Um, was a little bit, a little bit less than I was expecting, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, it felt like, you know, again, Atlanta probably wasn't going to take on any salary and send off better prospects. They're just looking to hopefully get Jaime to rebound and, and probably trade him at the trading deadline unless Atlanta mm-hmm. makes some sort of miraculous run that we're not seeing. But it does seem like it. you would think maybe somebody else would have had an interest that somebody else you could have said, hey, we're going to pay $6 million of this if we can get, you know, an upper-level prospect. Now, again, this may be an all that the market would bear for Jaime Garcia, and it most likely was because that's why John Mosley like went ahead and pulled the trigger. But it is a little surprising that they didn't wait till maybe a little bit closer to spring training to see if anybody gets a hurt pitcher. Um, I guess on the flip side of that, you never know when Jaime Garcia is going to get hurt, so maybe you ship him off <laughs> before he has a chance. Uh, there's always that thought of as well. But you're right. The, the relationship between Garcia and the front office has always been a little bit strained as well, and so – they may not have wanted to risk him, uh, you know, being around next year, uh, even though they picked up that option. And it's better to pick up the option and get three minor leaguers than to let him walk for nothing, even if these minor leaguers, the two pitchers are possible, you know, depth pitchers more than anything. They're not necessarily going to light the world on fire. Um, but there are arms that, that the Cardinals will probably use at some point in time, whether in the bullpen or in the rotation, because, you know, that's just the way that is, and they're good Memphis you know, cannon fodder, if you will, and, and let them and rotate up and down as we go. So uh, it, it just, you're right, a little bit surprising that he did it so early, um, but there you have it. Had, and, and, and some of that also probably pulled into the, the needing of 40-man roster spots, although they did, actually that didn't really affect because they brought one back. So never mind, that's what I get for talking without thinking. Um <laughs> Also, uh, along with when, – when we're talking about 40-man roster spots, this actually did matter. The Cardinals did not tender a contract to Seth Manus, um, mainly to free up a spot on the 40-man roster, um, which they were full before uh, non-tendering Manus. Manus did not have Tommy John surgery, which is what all of us had kind of expected or thought that had happened last year, but had a different type of elbow surgery. It kind of felt like the Cardinals would probably stick with him and help him rehab and come back because he pitched – pretty well uh, until he got hurt after his first stint on the DL last year. Were you a little surprised to see Manus cut loose? I was surprised. Again, this seemed very aggressive to me. Um, and, and we've seen in the past, Zach Duke concluded, among others, that the Cardinals tend to not just let go of a guy because he's hurt. Um, that's just not the way that they've typically done business uh, over the off season. Um, so I, I guess they they figured they got the best they could out of Seth Maness and they were ready to move on from that as well. Um, but I was a little surprised by that. I mean, I know that the road has been a little rocky for, for Seth, but they were 
times in in the last few seasons where he was absolutely a force to be reckoned with out of the bullpen. <laughs> and I know that, that it's kind of become a, a running joke about the, the double plays, but that was a real thing. It really happened. I don't know how. I don't know how that's a skill set you <laughs> develop. Um, but he was he was pretty great at it. And there were moments where he was absolutely critical to the success that this team had. So um, to see them kind of just, tip their hat and move on uh, was a little surprising to me under the circumstances. Um, you know, perhaps there's more at risk with the injury than, than we're all privy to, which of course would be shocking because we're all so well informed about the, the health of <laughs> Cardinals players. Um, but maybe they were just, they, again, maybe they felt like this was an opportunity to move on and do something different, similar to the situation with Jaime Garcia or with Brandon Moss or, you know, any number of those those decisions that were made this year that are a little bit atypical for what John Mosellac usually does. Yeah, it's just a, a little bit a little bit different and you know, maybe most gotta mix things up a little bit and try to be a bit more uh, unique now that he's not leading the division. In fact you're you're in the same division as the world champion Cubs, which is not a place John Mosellac probably ever expected to be. Uh, and I would probably never want it to be either. Now, as we have about four minutes left, let's turn to what might, might still happen. The Cardinals, you know, have kind of been rumored to be looking at Justin Turner or Edward Encarnacion. I think maybe more from the fan side of things than from the actual front office thing. Jumbo Zaylock talking about maybe, you know, making moves that are complementary but not necessarily roster-defining even so, though, if a guy like Encarnacion especially is out there a little bit longer and that price continues to drop, it would make a lot of sense for Mo to make a look at that, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Johnny Peralta is one of the, the remaining pieces of the puzzle that I would be okay with moving on from. Um, again, it's a matter of determining his value in the market right now, but I think that if you can go ahead and add a piece um, that really shores up. I mean, if you're talking about shoring up the defense on the infield, that, that's certainly not Johnny Peralta at third base. Um, so there are some options there. There are some guys that are available. You know, we all hear bits and pieces of things, and I know that um, as a fan base, we like to try to imagine one of these uh, big difference makers in the lineup somewhere. Um, but you're right. I do think that if these guys stay available, the, the, the market just doesn't really develop on them the way that maybe they're hoping it will. Um, Mo of course is going to play it close to the vest. Like he always does. He says that he's probably done with a, with dramatic moves this off season, but he also said that, that, uh, they weren't going to get anyone until after Christmas, right before they signed Fowler. So, uh, (laughs) Take that, take that comment for, for whatever you think it's worth. But um, if, if we have learned anything from the way that John Mazalek operates, it's that uh, he's very opportunistic. So if that chance remains, if there's um, someone available that fills in that last spot, uh, it doesn't really look like they're going to go after pitching to do anything dramatic with the rotation. So it seems like – an Encarnacion type or just an Turner type or one of those guys that are, are kind of dangling out there waiting for just the right thing um, might be an option. I, I, I'm hesitant to expect that because we have not really seen 
Mo go out and be that aggressive. Um, but like I said, he's he's already been a little surprising in the way that he's gone about this off season. So it would be a, a nice little surprise on the back end of this off season for sure. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't think anybody's planning for it because. You're right, that it seems like one big move is about as much as Mo really wants to do. But you just start looking at this lineup and, and again it's a very it's a good lineup, but it it feels well, you know, last year we spent a lot of time talking about how the roster just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like it had the right parts or felt crowded in one spot and, and weak in other spots. The lineup kinda looks like that as well. Even with Fowler and and Carpenter at the top of that lineup, the middle of the lineup still feels like it really needs that thumper that that maybe a, an Encarnacion or Turner would provide. Now, you know, again, this is not a bad lineup. It'll get by with, with what we've got. But um, to add another big bat like that would be a nice thing. But, you know, again, don't, don't necessarily look for that in your stocking come Christmas morning. Um, we've only got about a minute left. So uh, Tara and I will, um, first of all, Give a shout-out to Lloyds45 on Twitter, who's actually listening to us tonight. We appreciate that. And we will wrap this until most likely uh, winter warm-up uh, weekend in the middle of January, unless unless the Cardinals do sign somebody like Encarnacion, then maybe we'll do a special show or something. But until then, we hope you have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and all of that. And we will see you in January. For Tara Wellman, I'm Daniel Shopkoff. Good night.